Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. Right now we're in chapter 6. Let me just read chapter 6, the whole chapter. When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of mankind were beautiful and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme of his mind thought was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe off from the face of the earth mankind who I created together with the animals, creatures that crawl, birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the family and records of Noah, who was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God, and Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 70 feet wide, 45 feet high. You're to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark with 18 inches of the roof. You're to put a door on the side of the ark. Make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. Understand, I am bringing a flood. Floodwaters on the earth to destroy every creature under the earth with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the house ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. You also are to bring into the ark two of every living creature, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, livestock according to their kinds, and from animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds will come to you so you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten, gathered his food at you and for them, and Noah did this. He did everything that God commanded him. Good grief, that's a long text, huh? But I want to read one more text before I get into the sermon. This text is very important because it shows us what this text is about. Listen, 1 Peter 3 says this, verse 19. In that state, he also made a proclamation, talking about the time of Noah, to the spirits who were in prison, those who were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah, while an ark was being prepared. In it, a few eight people were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not with the removal of the filth of the flesh, but with a pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Peter, as an apostle, says that the story of Noah is a real story. It's a historical story, but it was pointing to the salvation that we would have in Christ. So I'm not going to preach to you like a kid's book, Noah's story about animals and the, and, and, and the flood. I'm going to talk about this historic event in light of the historic event of the gospel because that's the point. I'm not making that up. I'm not being allegorical. That's what it is. So what we have here is we have a prequel 
a, a preview of human history. We see what really is going on with humanity, where they're going, how they will be saved, and what will be the results. And, and we know this. We need, we need test runs. Before we actually worship here every Sunday, we, people walk through the thing first. We have rehearsals. We, have, we, we test things to see if they truly work. So check this out, guys. The entire history of humanity has a preview in this story. You know what has happened, you know what did happen, what will happen, what needs to happen based upon this event. This is the preview of the totality of human history. And so what we see here in this preview of all human history is what is our issue, firstly? What's humanity's problem? Secondly, what is our destiny? Where are we going because of this problem? Thirdly, what is our hope in the midst of this problem and this destiny because of our problem? And lastly, what does this hope bring to us? So here, as, as we look to the preview of human history, we see firstly, what's our problem? What is our issue? Here, here's a, way, a first way I unpack that. And let me put my timer on because otherwise I'll preach for two hours. <laughs> y'all, y'all be making little comments sometimes. No, no, like not, not you. The Lord's like, yeah, amen, preach forever. Like some of y'all be like, man, alto, man. Just stop. Okay. Humanity's issue, first issue, we crave our own greatness. We crave our own greatness. When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of mankind were beautiful and they took as they chose wives for themselves. Now, guys, this is not just about people being married to people they shouldn't be married to. This is the same issue of Genesis. Remember in Genesis, Eve saw that the tree was good for food. And so she saw something that was going to add to her to make her great enough in herself. In this story, the greatness that people are looking to aspire to is in getting very attractive women. So the women is not the issue. The sexual things is not the issue. The issue is that these people saw something that would give them a greatness in themselves, specifically someone who looks very important and attractive. So you see this also in verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. They were the powerful men of old, the famous name. Literally, it says in the Hebrew, these are the people of the name. So these are people that had a, they were seeking to have a reputation, a power in themselves. And the women's scenario, the marriage scenario, is just where it played itself out. And let me give you an illustration that may help. Uh, Adonis and, and Abriel, they, they race a lot. And whenever they race, um, Abriella gets mad because she loses and she attacks him. <laughs> me and my wife know this scenario very well. But her problem, listen, her problem is not that she attacks. That's not her problem. Her problem is, oh, you shouldn't hit your brother. You shouldn't be mean to your brother. Her problem is that she wants to be great and losing makes her angry and therefore she acts sinful. Understand? So listen, our problem is that we always want to be more and more attractive so that we can be great enough to feel good in ourselves. We, 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 we want people to respect, recognize, respect our morality 
and our virtues so that we could be big enough to be approved by people. We want our kids to be like the greatest and the biggest and the strongest and the most amazing. Why? So you can be big enough and great enough to feel good about yourselves. We, we have to have the jobs that everyone else wants. And not only do we have to have the job that everyone else wants, but we have to have the position in the job that everyone else wants. We can't just be in church doing things. We have to be, people have to marvel at us. People have to be amazed by us. And in this case, it's just marriage to ungodly people. God's people said, hey, man, I think my credibility, my greatness will be made higher by this person being added to me. So, beloved, listen, listen. Our problem is not that we're angry, it's not that we're bitter, it's not that we're violent, it's not that we're um, lustful or even addicted. You know what our problem is? Is that we crave our own greatness. And in craving our own greatness, all these things happen. So because we crave our own greatness, this is what, this is what we begin to cleave to God's enemies. So the sons of God, that represents not angels, not these like, you know, kind of giant-like figures like some people. The sons of God is the believers at this time. When they saw the daughters of mankind, they saw the daughters that were not of the covenant-believing community. When they saw they were beautiful, they began to get stuck to them and marry them. So this is what happens. When we want to be great in ourselves, we begin to attach ourselves to God's enemies to get what we want. Let me give you some scenarios what this looks like. You know the, the wife who's married and she feels like her husband doesn't make her feel great enough. Maybe some good reasons, never bad reasons. And so she, she leaves her husband for another guy who makes her feel great. He makes her feel like she's the center of the world. So, so she cleaves to somebody who she shouldn't cleave to because it makes her feel big enough in herself that she's craving for. Here's another scenario. The guy who hates the feeling of being lonely can't deal with being lonely. I don't want to be unimportant, so I'm going to marry an unbelieving person who's going to make me feel like I matter. I'm going to cleave to somebody that I shouldn't cleave to because I have a desire to be great. So guys, listen, listen. Our problem, the reason why we get stuck to things, persons, institutions that we shouldn't get stuck to, it's because we have a lust in our hearts to be great and we will sell out and stick ourselves to all sorts of things to be great. That's what we see in this story. And so, beloved, our problem is not our revolt so much as our revolt is because we crave our own greatness and so we cleave to God's enemies. And then we mock the Lord's grace. This is another issue we have. It says, the Lord said, my spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. Now, what it means, my spirit uh, will not um, remain, the word is contend. The idea is all these people are selling out God and God's spirit through his people are calling him to repentance. And they're saying, please, we know that you have prostituted yourself and you're trying to do all these things to make yourself great. But would you come back? Would you come back? And God says, listen, there's going to be a time where my grace will end. And, and, and this is the preview. Let's go to now. There's a, right now we're calling people to repentance and people mock God's grace, but believe it, there will be a day where that is over. It's not going to go on forever. We see this in this story. So, so our problem is that we, we crave our own greatness, we cleave to God's enemies, and so we mock 
God's grace. And it gets worse. And so because we do this, we are comprehensively evil. Comprehensively evil. It says in verse 5, The Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every scheme of his mind thought was nothing but evil all the time. You hear those words? Every single thing inside man is evil all the time. Not sometimes, like the evil in our hearts without the gospel doesn't take a vacation. You know what I'm saying? Like it's always there. The evil in our heart is wicked and deep and profound. You know how people all the time say, you don't know my heart. God says the heart of man at at the very depth is the problem. It's wicked and corrupt and all the time so. Never takes a break. And not only that, it says it was widespread on the earth. Guys, this is a human problem. This is not a black problem, a white problem, a hood problem, a rich problem, an American. It's a human problem. All over the earth. Beloved, our pro- listen, people say in church, you know, you know your problem is, is, is that you sin. That's not our problem. Our problem is not just that we've sinned. Our problem is that we've never done anything good in our lives outside of Christ. Now, there's good good and there's bad good. We can only do bad good. So we do good things for bad reasons, and it's still bad. You know what I'm saying? So listen, listen. Our problem, beloved, listen. Our problem, beloved, is not how our parents raised us, ultimately. It's not, you know, the neighborhood we lived in. It's not, um, you know, bad examples. It's not that people have wronged us. It's not that we don't believe in ourselves enough. You know what our problem is? You know what our problem is, beloved? We're evil. And all these things that happen to us just bring our evil out. So this is humanity's issue. And the last thing I'll say is that our issue is we are comprehensively evil, and so we personally violate God. We personally violate God. Look at what it says in verse 6. The Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. This word, grieved in his heart, is a very strong word. It's this intense pain that's inner and deep. Listen, you know the difference between um, somebody, when you leave something on the floor and they trip? Like, you, you were reckless and not very, very kind, right? But it wasn't that personal that you did that. There's a difference between leaving something on the floor that people trip and then pushing someone down the stairs, right? Or here, here's another one. You know, like when, when someone cuts you off in traffic and, and then you kind of, uh, man, I, I, I feel like I'm tired, man, from, from yesterday. I'm feeling my exhaustion right now. Like, you know, someone like cuts you off in traffic and like you scream at them, you curse them. You get mad at them, but it's not very personal. But when you get screaming mad at your wife, it is very personal, correct? Beloved, sin that we commit is like the pushing down the stairs. It's like you screaming at your wife. When you sin, beloved, when you lie, when you cheat, when you're lustful, when you're dishonest, it grieves the heart of God specifically very personally. Sin is not some abstract thing that's disconnected to God. It's very personally directed to God. Guys, we, when we sin, we specifically are doing something in God's face. Why? Because we're his creation. He made us. We belong to him. So listen, 
This is our issue. The question is, what, is, what will be our destiny because of our issue? And we get that from verse 7 where it says, The Lord God <clears throat> said, I will wipe off the face of the earth mankind whom I created together with all the animals, creatures that call. <sighs> Man, I need to sit down. Sorry. I'm going to sit and preach because I feel like exhausted right now. I'll just use this. Is that all right? All right. Okay. I'll probably get up later, but right now, I just feel so exhausted right now. Oh, man. All right. What's humanity's destiny? I feel like Rick Warren. You remember Rick Warren when he preached like this in a conference? <laughs> humanity's destiny. The Lord God said, I will wipe off the face of the earth mankind whom I created together with the animals, creatures that call, birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. So where are we going? Where is our destiny because of our problem? Our destiny is annihilation both now and forever. Uh, You know what happens when a car no longer has use? What do you do with a car? Well, you try to fix it. You can't fix it. You take it to the junkyard. You take it to the junkyard. Then it becomes trash, trashed. So, beloved, listen, our, our, our human issue of sinfulness is, is that God will comprehensively, justly destroy us both now and forever. You know like that book, that famous Christian book called Love Wins? At the end, everyone's going to be in heaven. That, that book is a lie. Love does not win. The wrath of God's holiness will meet you in judgment day if you meet him in your issue apart from his remedy. There is no purgatory. There is no second chance. There is no weighing of good or bad deeds that will then get you into heaven. I think I can stand up again. <laughs> like, you, there's people that are visiting here for the first time, like, man, what the heck is going on? You saw me preach yesterday. I don't know. I may have been eating enough last night. So, There is no second chance. There is no purgatory. There is no loneliness apart from God. But if you do not come to Christ in your sinfulness, you will meet him in judgment and annihilation with his fury. That is the truth of this story. There will be no negotiations. So our destiny, beloved, is this. And you know, let me say this as well. I think a lot of times we think, you know, we think our, our biggest problem is, man, what will be the future of having a happy marriage and having happy kids? Will I have a happy marriage? Will I have happy kids? You know, will I be able to reach my full most potential as a person? Is that my biggest future issue? Or, you know, will I have the right kind of job? Or, you know, will I ever get over all my emotional baggage? Could I be the best me, beloved? That's not your biggest problem. I say this in all sincerity. Your biggest problem is what will you do when you meet a holy God at the end of your life, which is going very soon, and he meets you in his holiness? That is the essential issue. You know, you know what we're like as humans? We're like people that like are calling up Comcast to fix our internet when Miami has ordered an evacuation because there's a bomb coming. We spend so much time with our Comcast issues when God the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son have ordered an evacuation because judgment is coming. So believe me, all those problems are not your biggest issue. 
It is something much deeper. So what is our hope in the midst of this? What is our hope? Well, we could say, no, our hope is I think, I think we have better schools in Miami, better schools in the country, you know, better government or better environments maybe. Um, but it's interesting how this text changes. Look what it says. Humanity's hope is, listen, listen, Noah, however, found favor in the sight of the Lord. Humanity's hope is unprovoked grace. Did Pastor Ken say that yesterday? Unprovoked grace. So, beloved, God sees humanity's issue, and he sees, he declares judgment, and he says the only hope they have is that somebody would find favor in God's sight because of God. Not hope in, you know, maybe like a plan, not hope in maybe, uh, you know, somebody kind of fixing themselves, changing themselves, but their hope is in a grace that comes that's not provoked. But I want to ask, I want to, I want to talk more about that. What does it mean for us to have unprovoked grace? Don't we talk about grace a lot? Grace, 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 grace. What, what does grace mean? Okay, pastor's telling me I'm really bad. And, my own, and not only am I really bad, I have a really bad future headed towards me. And not only that, I need grace that's not provoked. What does that mean? Well, the text explains it to us. We get, we, our hope is an unprovoked grace in a righteous representative, in a righteous representative. You know, you know what's interesting about the text? Who found grace before the Lord? Noah. And his family goes into the ark and is saved in this event. Why? Because of Noah. Noah, it says, was a righteous man. Let me go back to the chair. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God, and Noah did this. He did everything that the Lord commanded him. So listen, guys. In the Bible, we have two issues, or two, two elements of every text. You have people that represent believers who are trusting in Christ. That's one side of it. The other side of it is... Sorry, guys. Uh, the other aspect of it is, is that the figures in the Bible point to... Christ in an imperfect way. So Noah is about the greater Noah. Abraham's about the greater Abraham. You follow me? So in a sense, Noah teaches us about faith, but on another angle, Noah teaches us about Christ as our greater Noah. You follow me? So when it says that Noah got to receive the covenant with God and the people went into the ark because he was blameless, he walked among his contemporaries, he obeyed God, it's saying that we are saved, beloved, because we have someone who represents us perfectly in his obedience and his goodness. So we have a Noah who walked blameless in the world, righteous in the world, obeyed in the world, and because of that, we get grace that we don't deserve. So, beloved, we're not saved. Can I get, can someone give me more water? I feel like, I'm, I, feel like uh, I feel like really, I don't know, I feel bad right now. 
I'm just trying to see if I can even get this message because I feel like right now I can't. I feel like I feel really bad. All right, let me keep going or keep trying to go. Um, So listen, we're not we're not saved. We don't get grace because of how my heart is and how my life is and how my changes are and how much I've improved myself and how much I've fixed myself. Actually, can we turn the air back on too? All right. We're saved because Noah, our righteous Noah, represents us and he was blameless and righteous for us. You understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> so we get favor from God, not through, thanks. Ugh. We get favor from God, not through um, what we have, what we do, what we become, what we accomplish, but we get favor from God because our representative has represented us perfectly in Christ. So moving on, humanity's hope is an unprovoked grace through a perfect representative, but it's also in an unconditional covenant, an unconditional covenant. Look at this in verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, your sons and your wife, and your sons' wives. So listen, um, in, the, in the garden, remember the covenant in the garden? God says, look, Adam, if you obey, you're okay. If you don't obey, you're dead. That was a way God initially related to Adam. But look what it says here. It says, I will establish my covenant with you. And it says nothing about the people that are there receiving this. It is unconditional. It's almost like this. Here's a picture that may help. Um, <clears throat> I don't think I'm going to make it through this, guys. Is that all right? I feel, I feel like I'm going like, like to throw up or pass out right now. So... Yeah, what am I going to do? I I feel like I keep trying to go slower. Huh? Eat? Yeah, I have breakfast. I have breakfast. I don't know. A Gatorade? (laughs) I'm so sorry, guys. Huh? No, I just, I want to keep going, but I just, I feel like every time I keep talking, I feel like I'm going to throw up or something. Huh? Pedialyte? All right. An unconditional covenant. So here's, a, here's an illustration that may help. Um, it's almost like you make a promise. You make a promise for your kids before they're born. And the promise is, look, we're going to give our kids um, a college education. You make a promise to each other. Okay? So... Your kids, doesn't matter how your kids' lives are, doesn't matter what happens, doesn't matter what they do, doesn't matter. You make a promise before they're born that's unconditional, not based upon them. So it doesn't matter how they act, how they are, the promise was made before they existed. It was not conditioned upon them. Let me give you a picture that may help you. Um, I, when I, um, I had a near-death experience with, with a, a smoking weed that was laced with like some sort of amphetamine. And, um, like, my heart went crazy. My heart went crazy. You know what's really bothering me, too? It's a light. Maybe if I get out of the light, that'll help me. The light's, like, really messing me up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. 
All right, moving on. Um, that's a little bit better. Um, so check it out. Um, I had a near-death experience where um, I almost died. I went to the hospital. My heart was beating like 300 beats a minute. No, almost 300 beats, like 250. And then I, I picked up a Bible, and I started making all these promises to God. And I was like, God, if, if you don't let me die, I will read the Bible. I will be better. I will change. I made all these promises to God in my deathbed. And, um, you know, for like six months, I was like a little religious. And you know what happened? You know what happened? I went back to the world, and all those promises didn't come to fruition. But... Years later, I came to faith. And you know what God told me when he came to faith? You know why you're a Christian Aldo? You know why you're a saved Aldo? It's not because you made promises to me and you will make promises to me. You're a Christian because I made an unconditional promise with my son, irrespective of anything in your life. That's the gospel. God makes a covenant with us because of his son, irrespective of anything in us, no conditions that we meet, nothing we produce. God saves us because he made a promise, made eternity with his son. And when the gospel comes in time, he says, embrace that promise. So humanity's hope is an unprovoked grace and a perfect representative and an unconditional covenant, unconditional promise. And beloved, you know what? I feel like we're always trying to feel good about ourselves in all these wrong ways. We always want to feel good about ourselves by the the kind of promises we can make to God. We're always trying to feel good about ourselves, the kind of promises people can make to us. But beloved, what this text is saying is that at the end of the day, you're gonna you know why you sleep at night? You know why you can go to bed at night, even though like you are very inconsistent and very sinful and you treat your wife oftentimes like you shouldn't treat her because God made a promise irrespective of you. That's the gospel. So we have need an unconditional covenant. That's our hope. But where does that happen? And that brings us to our next point. In union with our representative's death. In union with our representative's death. I get that from verse 14. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover with pitch inside and outside. Verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons and your wife and your sons' wives. So check this out. Let me try to stand again because I hate sitting. And if I feel bad, I'll, I'll just go back down. You know the word for ark in Hebrew? You know what it stands for? What it means, ark in Hebrew means coffin. Isn't it interesting? Ark means an instrument of death. So when God says to Noah, you need to go into the ark, and as you go into the ark, people go with you in the ark, what he's saying is that your way to be saved is in through an instrument of death. See where I'm going? You know what's interesting about the ark? Have you ever seen, have you ever seen pictures of the ark? What does it look like? It looks like a big coffin. I want you to look at it and think about it. It looks like a big coffin. It's a piece of wood. And you know what else is interesting? The same word for ark here. Cool, Gatorade. Hey, guys, I think I might actually make it through the sermon. 
<laughs> Thank you. I feel so bad for the visitors, man. <laughs> you my family, so I can be crazy and screwed up as I need to be. Gatorade. All right. So the same word, you know, when, when, when Moses goes into the basket, you know what the word for the basket is? Ark. Ark. And so what's going on here is that God is saying to us is that we are saved through entering into the death with our greater Noah. That is how we are saved. Have you, have you guys ever seen The Walking Dead? Some of you are like, oh, I'm too spiritual for that. I don't watch those shows. Yeah, my wife can't, my wife can't watch it. Here's the issue in The Walking Dead. Can I tell you the issue in The Walking Dead? You have two kinds of people. First people, they want to reform the dead. You know, like they want to like, they have them with leashes and they put them in barns. You know those people? If some of you seen, you know what I'm talking about. And the other people is like, there's only one thing to do with dead people. Blah! Dead. And the people that want to renew and help and kind of train the dead people, you know what happens to them? They end up getting eaten. Listen, beloved, we are like those walking dead people. We don't need to be helped. We don't need to be fixed. We don't need to be improved. We don't need to be added. We need to die in the death of Christ. That's our hope. That I would enter into the death of Christ and that he in his death would save me in his death because there's no hope for me Apart from dying with Christ. No hope for me. It's kind of like, you know the story of rescue? Here's often the story of rescue. It's like this. We, 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 we talk about the gospel like this. It's almost like you're drowning in the water. And as you're drowning in the water, you then begin to say, okay, Jesus is a lifeguard. Jesus comes and he rescues me out of the water and he saves me from drowning. That's the picture I, I see a lot of times of salvation. But you know what a better picture of salvation is? Jesus is a lifeguard. He comes to where you are and he drowns you and you both die together and he brings you up resurrected through his death. That's the gospel. So how does this practically look out? How do, how do we see this hope and union with the death of Christ practically for us? Let me see if I can unpack it. So check it out. I don't need to feel good about myself, beloved. What I need to is to embrace death with my representative in Christ. When I am struggling with certain sins, the solution when I'm struggling with certain sins is not how can I, you know, not sin and be better. The solution in my sinfulness is, Lord, I need to re-embrace my wonderful freeing death in the death of Christ. When, (laughs) you know, When I'm depressed over my mediocre life, my difficult marriage, when I'm depressed over the same stuff, I don't need to have some big event happen. I don't need my marriage to kind of become more stupendous. I don't need to do some new great thing. What I need to do is embrace death with Christ. Embrace death with Christ. 
When I'm not getting what I want, I don't need to use God's power to get what I want. When I'm not getting what I want, what I need to do is to embrace a wonderful, freeing death with Christ. Uh, Sorry, I had to sit again. Here we go. On and on and on. Which is why Paul, which is why Paul says, you know what Paul says in, in Galatians 2.20? I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So we need union with Christ's death. That's our hope. We identify with his death on the cross. But we also need uh, union with our representative's resurrection. You say, where do you get resurrection? I don't see resurrection. Look, in verse 19, you bring into the ark two of the living creatures, male and female, keep them alive with you, two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and the animals that crawl according to their kinds. What, what is this reminding you of? You can talk to me now. This is like a Bible study now because I'm sitting. What does this remind you of? Creation, right? All the animals. So what we see here is that God is recreating the world now through the ark. The new creation now will not be through how he spoke things into existence, but all creation will now come out resurrected through the ark. You follow me? So listen, um, we're, we're always trying to reinvent ourselves and try to renew ourselves, right? Reincarnation, you know, evolution, um, new experience, some new, some, some new spiritual experience, you know, some new rules to keep, some new Christian activity, some, you know what, can someone give me the bread? I think also my, my problem is uh, I, didn't, I didn't eat enough. That's my problem. Sorry. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Huh? I keep, I keep feeling bad as I feel better. I guess the devil don't want me to talk today. But God wants me to. So I'm going to preach until I pass out. Some new renewing of ourselves. Some new Christian activity. Some new devotional. Some new behavior. Some new church. Guys, all the way we renew ourselves is just the same stuff repackaged in some wrong way. But what we need, beloved, is to be raised new in the resurrection of Christ. That's what we need. We need to be raised in his resurrection. Now, that means that what I need is a new status that I get from justification. God gives me a new status in the obedience and bloodshedding of Christ. That means that I need to be adopted in the resurrection of Christ, where he gives me a new family, a new DNA. That means I need to be rescripted in the story of Christ, where I have a new story that's mine. That means I need to be betrothed in Christ through his resurrection. That means I need to be seated with him, reconciled, all these things. No more cosmic plastic surgery of the flesh. But now I need to embrace who I am in Christ. I am adopted by his powerful resurrection. I am justified by his resurrection. I am a new creature in the resurrection of Christ. 
I have a new relationship with God through the resurrection of Christ. I have a new destiny with God through the resurrection of Christ. In Christ's resurrection, I am truly new. And in all my little reinventing myself, it's just the same old me in a new package. So what I got through my next point. So humanity's hope is unprovoked grace through a representative, through an unconditional covenant in union with his death and resurrection. What does that bring about? What does that produce? And that brings me to our last point. Humanity's hope's results. Humanity's hope's results. So what happens when we embrace this hope? I get that from verse 14. The first result is communion with God. Look at it from verse 14. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and outside. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. I'm not going to read it all because I, I, I don't have the energy for it. But you see, the, you see what's going on here? These are the same and similar descriptions of the Holy of Holies. Same descriptions of the temple. So what we see here, we see here that the place of death in the ark is the place where we meet with God. Um, wow. So we, we all have special places where we want to meet with people, right? Like some of you, like your special place to meet with people um, is on the water fishing. Santiago is kind of like that. But my wife, if you really want to have intimacy with her, um, you got to clean or organize or, 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 or craft. Um, oh, is that, is that for throw up? Um, with, with some people, it's watching TV. Some of you, it's the gym. You know, you want to get close to Jamie, you got to go to CrossFit. There's a special place where you can enjoy someone. So what's a special place where you enjoy God? It's in his death. The special place where you meet with God is in his death. The place where we enjoy and have fellowship with him is in his death. You know what we think, you know what you know what we think we enjoy God? In our victories, in our personal success, in our beauty, in human flattery, you know, and all these things. But, but, but what this text is saying is, you know what's awesome about the hope of the gospel? Is that you get to enjoy and have face-to-face intimacy with God Almighty solely because of the power of his death. I just spit up. You get that from Hebrews 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, he has opened to us to the curtain that is his flesh. But there's something more I got to say about this point. It's not enough to have a special place. Because you can have a special place to be with somebody. But you need to be able to hang out with them for long too, right? That's why the ark has rooms, beloved. Because the death of Christ is not just something for us to be saved and enjoy God and then move on and enjoy him anyways. But we have rooms in the death of Christ because God is saying that he wants you to regularly for the rest of your life enjoy intimate fellowship with God day after day, moment after moment in the powerful death of Christ. 
The death of Christ is not just some initiating event to bring us salvation. The death of Christ is this place where we enjoy God of the universe every day through his forgiveness proclaimed to us. Through his rescue enveloping us. Through his ransoming, wrath-bearing death covering us and saying, I love you. Everyone's looking. You know, I want to know you, God. I want to find you, God. You find God in the cross of Calvary always. Don't look nowhere else, beloved. That's where he's always going to meet you. So we have the place of meeting. That's our benefits. One of the first benefits of humanity's hopes is communion. Second benefit is community. Community. I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife. I'm not sitting no more. Forget it. Um, Your sons, and you will bring them into the ark, your living creatures. And so check this out. What's going on in the ark is there's a community in the ark. All these people now have a, Noah and his kin have a community in the ark. So what death does, death provides the place for community to happen. Um, you, you guys don't know anything about police officers and firemen and military men. You know, you know, you know why they're so close? Why, why, why are they so close? Because they're always facing death together. It's not about their personalities. It's not about their preferences. It's not even about how, how, how they are. The thing that brings them together is that they're regularly encountering death together. You see where I'm going? You know how we have community, beloved? It's because we're regularly encountering the powerful, majestic death of Christ together. Our community is not, ba- our community is not based upon our race. It's not based upon our preferences. It's not based on our culture. It's not even based upon how we treat each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, how we treat each other is not the base of our fellowship. How much we like each other is not the base of our fellowship. How much we're in the same season of life is not the base of our shop. The basis of our community is that we're united by this powerful, majestic, eternal, magnificent death in Christ. That's what brings us together. Life in the ark, community in the ark is about being united in the power of death in Christ. It's about people being united by forgiveness, rescue, ransom. Not by how much we like each other and how much you make me feel good about me and how much you're like my, you know, you're my fan and you're like my pat me on the back person and, you know, like we like the same things. But we have this fellowship that's based upon the majestic death of Christ. And the more we try to have fellowship in ourselves, the least we will be love each other and be close. And the more we try to have fellowship in a, the death of Christ, the more there is deep and meaningful community. I made it to my end of my sermon. But I have a, I have a conclusion. I have a conclusion. I have a conclusion. Sorry, guys. So what we learn from this text as we see a preview and prequel of history is this, beloved. First, is that we know very clearly that there is no hope for humanity. We are at best crooked, corrupt, lost, broken, fragmented. Doesn't matter how much we do, doesn't matter what we do, doesn't matter where we do it, doesn't matter how you do it, how you try to do it, we are totally corrupt. We know from this preview of human history that our destiny is judgment with a holy, good, and righteous God. We know from this preview that our only hope 
in the midst of our sin is that we would have a righteous person who represents us, a righteous person who unites us in his death, a righteous person who unites us in his resurrection, and a righteous person who makes a promise with us, not based upon anything in us, but the promise. And we know that that will bring us to have a place to meet with him, enjoy him, be loved by him, and have a community with his people that are united in his death. So if I work back from that, I would say, how do we have community? How do we have fellowship with God? It is in union with the death of Christ, union with his resurrection, embracing his unconditional promises, and saying, Jesus is my representative. How do I do that? I do that as someone who knows that my destiny apart from Christ is judgment. Why do I come to that conclusion? Because I'm a sinner who has nothing in me whatsoever at all, ever. So, beloved, we learn from this story that the, the totality of humanity is hopeless. Their destiny is severe and sure. Their hope is in a crucified, resurrected, greater Noah. And that will bring us to enjoy God and enjoy each other forever. Amen. Father, thank you so much for giving us all a testimony here today that it's not the strength of the speaker. It's not the gifting of the speaker. It's not anything in the speaker, but it is the power of the word of God, irrespective of the speaker. And so, Lord God, thank you for just giving us an opportunity to all celebrate the necessity of being rescued by someone so great, someone so wonderful, someone so marvelous, and letting us experiencing that real time as it was dispensed, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconcilechurchmiami.org.